Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 283 on Tuesday, the 22nd of October, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we learn that virtual signaling isn't all that popular with us Brits, we'll be asking for how much longer unlimited speed will be allowed. We find out how our motorways will become bright spots in the road network once more. And we learn if, in fact, more seats will make drifting more popular. But first, we go to follow-up. And it is our old friend Dieselgate. And I'm very sorry, everybody, but it's all legal stuff again. There's two stories. We'll go through them really quickly. The first one is... We did have a break from them last week, though. Yes, but it was still legal. (laughs) True. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll get a break from that at some point. But uh, this is the news that Volkswagen has been granted an additional 90 days to test if its compliance programs required under a criminal plea agreement with the US government, will actually work. What Volkswagen was saying was, look, we don't think our systems are quite up to speed yet. Can we have another 90 days? Look, we're terribly sorry. We aren't trying to pull a fast one here. Again, this must be really awkward, by the way. If if you are already in a very defensive position, which is you've had to make settlements of an extraordinary level and then go back begging to say, can we have some more time, please? Yeah, it's it's not great, is it? But the US government has agreed that they are, in good faith, they are uh, doing this. They are trying to fix their ways. They are trying to get everything in place. So they've said, yes, you can have 90 more days. Uh, if you want to read more about that, as ever, we will have links in the show notes. And this is a uh, Auto News Europe article. Uh, I've got a Dieselgate story as well. Mm. But it's one that smacks more of desperation and, and, and no, yeah, it's one that smacks more of desperation as far as I can tell. Uh, we've commented before about how it's going to be very, very difficult for anyone to, to actually be able to justify, to justify compensation if they owned a vehicle, what got fixed. Yes. <laughs> and of course, haven't suffered depreciation at all or uh, you know excess depreciation or any of these things uh, above and beyond what you would expect from the vehicle in the first place and and that's been very much the case so there are however about 85,000 motorists in the UK bringing a class action uh, against Volkswagen uh, for its role in in Dieselgate and they have moved on because of the points I made before and because uh, the precedent really is that certainly certainly in the Czech Republic that, that a judge has ruled that what I said before about there being no actual loss and therefore no compensation uh, is true. Then what the lawyers, a company called Slater and Gordon, who are leading a consortium of those lawyers, is now alleging isn't that people were out of were out of pocket, uh, but that the Dieselgate fix is a second defeat device, and they go on, uh, and this is according to Julian Rendell in Autocar, uh, and they go on to question the fact that it is that the technical fix operates over a certain uh, thermal window, so a certain range of ambient temperatures, fifteen to thirty three degrees below a thousand meters of altitude, and they're saying that if the vehicle goes outside of those parameters, then the levels of pollutants may well, it, it suggests, no, it suggests that the engines will emit higher levels of pollutants outside that particular window. I That seems to me that what they're arguing with is that they are arguing with the people who agreed that is the test regime. 
It does sound like that to me. Because that is the parameters of the test regime. So you need to sue the, uh, what's the German place, the KBA, which is their technical agency, Germany's technical agency. You need to sue them, stroke the EU for agreeing that this is the parameters that are acceptable to test vehicles under, which we all know. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you to Dieselgate for this, actually, that the test regime was not fit for purpose in today's world or even a few years ago, it wasn't fit for purpose, let alone now. So uh, how is that Volkswagen's fault? They're complying with the test. Yeah, they're complying with the test, and all of these fixes got signed off before they rolled them out. They didn't just make something up. It sounds like people are fearing that they might not get a big payout, uh, and I don't necessarily mean the 85,000 motorists. No, they'll be the least of the people. uh, They'll be the least of the people getting paid. So. so Yeah, so it does seem to be does seem to be a, a, a grappling, uh, and and it moving in towards something slightly more desperate. Well, if if but here's here's a point though. If that is declared, that thermal window is declared a defeat device. That's writing legal precedents. That, yes, that you yes, were, for for what I said before, you are stating that the KBA and the EU's testing criteria is in fact flawed and insufficient, mm-hmm. which isn't the question being asked. No, no, it isn't. But anyway, no, exactly. Anyway, so I, I don't see why people would suddenly be be due money as a result of that. Anyway, no, quite frankly, no. Exactly. Right, moving on, but sticking with Germany, actually. And it is the Mm -hmm. news that the German uh, parliament has rejected wholeheartedly the idea that there should be a speed limit put on the autobahn's unrestricted stretches of road. There was an overwhelming majority of 498 out of 631 (laughs) So that's quite comprehensive. That's that's a pretty deep. That's yes, yes. I mean, as it says in this drive article, we've found something that people can still agree on and not scream at each other constantly, <laughs> or the majority yeah. can agree on anyway for a change. <laughs> the the claim was from the Green Party is that it would improve road safety and reduce pollution. There are uh, there are questions over the pollution side of things. Germany's federal Ministry for the Environment said it would have a negligible impact on the pollution in the country. And and we remember Mm -hmm. all countries are under increasing pressure to hit targets for environmental side of things. So it's air quality and CO2 and all all the stuff that's Mm -hmm. involved in that. So for them to say it's not going to make any difference, they must have looked at it properly with people with calculators and spreadsheets and large brains for them to come out and say that because that would seem an easy win on the pollution side of things it would wouldn't it to an extent i'm actually quite surprised i am surprised at the size of the defeat for this i am too if it had been somewhere in the middle like 52 48 you know that seems to be favorite <laughs> favorite fav- favorite ratio these days uh, if it had been somewhere in the middle, then I would have believed that because I've heard genuine Germans in Germany stating that they they, they think that unrestricted autobahns are unnecessary, uh, really. And and what's the point? Because if you're going much faster than about 
130 kilometers an hour, 150 kilometers an hour, then it all gets a little bit scary at those kinds of speeds. Well, I was going to ask, you know, okay, the the speed limit is whatever your car will do, but how many people actually drive anywhere near that must be quite small in not, proportion. Not, certainly not where it's busy, and, and it, actually, it actually is quite small in proportion. There's, there's a sort of general 90 to 110 type. Thing. The, the challenge, to be honest, on German autobahns is that everyone's going so fast, they're also going so close. Oh, okay, so they become the a bit blase to the is, speed. And the... Yeah, okay. it's it's the, the closeness scares me more than the speed uh, on German autobahns. Okay, right, let's move on to new news, and this time in some... I'm actually quite surprised news from Citroen. Well, so am I, but nobody really knows what the details of the news are. Yes, it's, this has been handled fabulously. <laughs> What's happening? And the, the, So it originally came out that... I'm just double-checking on dates here. 17th, yeah. It originally came out the other day that um, Mitsubishi's former head of production, a chap called Vincent Kobe. Uh, was going to replace uh, was going to p- replace uh, Citroen uh, chief executive uh, Linda Jackson. Okay, and that was the first thing. And then she's going to be moved to another role within PSA. Mm. And that was kind of it. So, which came a bit out of the and, blue. And, and to be fair, it is a bit of a surprise. But the uh, next thing is the. But then it was updated. Uh, and said that they, yeah. So Citroen issued a statement correcting what Kobe's role is going to be, but not denying that Linda Jackson was was going to step down from that role. Yeah, nor denying that he may become CEO in the future. Yeah. So the, the statement says, Vincent Kobe has indeed joined the Citroen management team. As of October the 1st, 2019, he's been appointed Deputy to the brand manager in charge of accelerating the development of the brand internationally. And in this capacity, he'll be part of the Citroen Executive Committee. Now, his main responsibility there obviously is improving Citroen sales, specifically outside of France. Yeah. Uh, and that's because uh, European market share, whilst Linda Jackson has been doing a great job. I think most of us feel that. Yeah. Big turnaround so. in Citroëns, in perception of a Citroën. And the same, to be honest, over the last few years, PSA as a group, there has been a significant difference in the quality of its outputs and the desirability, I think, of its outputs. Yeah, because you, know it, it, you know what it smacked to me a lot of? Is you know when the, the head of Toyota said, right, no more boring cars? It feels yes. that sort of edict from on top that said, we are not making rubbish stuff anymore. No, mm-hmm. nothing. We're not having bland looking things that have now got quite a bit of a cult following, particularly against people we follow. <laughs> but they, they, yeah, they, the senior executive team has turned around and gone, no, no more. We are going to make really nice looking cars. We Each of our brands are going to be different. They're going to have a, a special, uh, unique selling point because Citroen's one now is comfort. They've gone. No, we are comfort. We are. Mm. It's going to be safe, comfort, that sort of thing. And that's a. I think that's a brilliant thing. And then they looked. Citroens don't look like anything else. They yeah. are uniquely Citroen. So, 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 uh, so the 
That's right. I agree with you. But overall, the European market shares remained at four and a half percent. Yep. Uh, over the last few years. Now, on the other hand, we're saying this as if she's about to get the chop. And if she was about to get the chop, she'd probably already been chopped. So there is the chance that she may well be moving to a wider role within within PSA. So something at group level as opposed to brand level. So it's not yeah. necess- this does not look like someone is getting the axe, oh my goodness, you're out type of setup. This is a someone in, okay, maybe get see where that's going and then and then shuffle around. Yeah, I hope this isn't a sideways move like BMW did with that designer to rolls. <laughs> no, I, I don't I, I don't I, think so. I think that would be a bit slipperier than this. I th- well, I also think that they're a bit more I don't know if ruthless is the right word, but you know you know what I mean? They're a bit more hard nosed than that. If they wanted to properly get rid, they'd just go, You're out. We'll we'll pay the the yeah, golden exactly. parachute. You you're gone because we need to change things. Mm-hmm. So yes, because exactly. I I mean she has come across as being superbly approachable. She speaks so well for the brand and with such enthusiasm as well. And like you say, you know, under her stewardship, they've now got some cars that people actually go out. We quite like those. Mm-hmm. That, that We like what you're trying to do here. And I'm seeing more and more of them on the road. So Agreed. Right. So let's, let's hope that is. So we'll see what happens there. Perfect. It's it's a one, it's a one. To, no, quite. It's a one to watch. Yep. Definitely a one to watch. Also, what we'll keep our eyes peeled for is how people react to the consultation from the government on whether we want, amongst other things, green number plates for zero emission cars. Up to now, it is being said that there is only one in five of us think it's a good idea to uh, say, yes, let's have green number plates. And there's a variety of options when it comes to that. It could be a completely green number plate, you can have a green band or a green dot, but there's something on there that indicates that this car is zero emission. There are some saying, look, it's worked in other places because green number plates get access to, in trials, get access to things like toll roads. They can go on those for free. They can use bus lanes, all this other sort of stuff. You know, where the rest of us who are using the filthy, evil, evil engine are penalized at every opportunity. <laughs> I saw I saw a tweet earlier on with someone, uh, someone saying that, well, what should actually happen is that the internal combustion engine cars should get a skull and crossbones on them to show that they're dangerous. <laughs> Are we be pirates here? We be pirates. And I, and I thought, I, I thought, I wonder what type of vehicle you drive. Bicycle, Alan. A bicycle. <laughs> I bet I could even name the brand. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this. I'm one of the eighty percent. By the way, I, I didn't answer this in the consultation, but I don't think it's a good idea. Why is that? Because I think that there's a lot of virtue signalling goes on as a result of it to start with which I don't really like. But isn't the fact that the back of these cars have basically make it very clear that they are electric and all the rest of it anyway? I, yeah, I'm not sure that? that it will make that much difference. There's, there's idiots now that are already condemn anyone who has a internal combustion engine. Likewise, there's people who will absolutely shoot down anyone who has an electric vehicle. The, the fact somebody's made that choice one is nothing to do with you, but two, mm-hmm. yeah, whoever you are, yeah. whoever you are, you don't know their situation. You don't know why they've made that choice. It could be for financial reasons. It could be for environmental reasons. It just could be because they like the look of the car. Great, hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter. The, 
But there's and and the incentive thing as well is another is another tricky one because if there's too much, it gets overwhelmed. I mean, I, you see, the thing is, I'm taking this from experience in in Oslo and from discussions with people there, pointing out that so many people use these things like high occupancy vehicle lanes that they actually end up slower than just sitting there in a normal car and they get abused and stuff. Mm. I did see a suggestion. I also don't really like the idea of changing the colors of number plates. So fundamentally, I don't really like messing with that. Change is bad. I did, <laughs> no, no, I know, no, you're, no, not, I know no. you're not like that. I know um, you're not. But I did see a really good suggestion, and I've forgotten who it was. I believe Mr. Callow was involved in it. Uh, there was a, a discussion that had taken place earlier on on, on, on the Twitters um, saying, well, oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who else was in there. Uh, Andy Masson from Jaguar was in there, uh, was in that particular debate. And they were saying, well, you never, they never use Z in a location area. Mm. So if they made the second letter Z, you could have an S with a Z and then it would be, you know, it would be an electric vehicle from Scotland. You could have a K with a Z and it would be an electric vehicle from. Yeah, I like Katrin that idea. In the Midlands like around yeah. me. And I actually thought, I thought that was a really nice, I thought that was a good way of doing it. It doesn't mean, it means no pratting around with number plate colors. So all the spying on UANPR still works, uh, mostly. The only challenge is telling the difference between a Z and a 2. A two. But, the, but there's Z already in but license plates elsewhere. There is, but it's 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 in the the sort of final triple yeah yeah no yeah yeah, yeah. um so so it's never it can't be a number if it's there it has to be a 2 but then mm. s's and fives appear next to each other as well uh, yeah. in the number plate so that really shoots down that particular argument uh, but i actually thought that that so it, it would work much better because it's a z for a zero uh you know z for zeros and zero emissions uh, zero yeah 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 tailpipe emissions oh pedants so I thought that was a good one. I thought that was a good compromise. Yeah, I quite like that. Uh, which, which somehow avoided, in my mind, it avoided the virtue signalling of, of a, look, I've got a special coloured flag. I'm very clever. Um, I'm overheating to my... I'm, I, I, have, I have to say that I do question how much virtue signalling there's going to be. There's already people with stickers in their cars that, that make a point if they're particularly clean or if they're particularly dirty. They... They seem to revel in it if they want to. Uh, I, I I really like that idea of making the second letter Z. I think that is the perfect way around it because then there isn't any any changes to number plate colours and stuff like that, and we can all just basically carry on. And it makes the mm. it makes the minimum amount of impact to uh, yeah. ev- the whole system, mm-hmm. which I much prefer than changing the colour of the number plates. Yeah, I think overall, I don't have an issue with there being something to denote a a zero emission, a zero tailpipe emission vehicle. Um, I just don't like the idea of changing colours and number plates and yeah. stuff like that. But but as to your other point about effectively subsidising electric or zero emission vehicles, that will have to be carefully managed, and yeah. hopefully they will learn the lessons of other places that have installed it. I the country does not have the wealth in which to support that financially indefinitely and to levels of <laughs> indefinitely for 15 minutes I think, <laughs> and to levels that some other countries do. So it's, yeah. it's how that's done. And maybe that's something that cities actually lead the way on. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we've got, yeah, I know sure. we've got ULEZ coming into more and more cities, but maybe 
they start turning around and going, yes, you can use the bus lanes or yes, you can, you can, you can use this route that there would be a toll, you know, the t- tunnels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just say, no, that, um, maybe that's a, a way that it will, the government just follows because they've seen it being installed. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that anyway. Yes. More, more unusual stuff. Um, the highways England is ending its policy of switching off some of the motorway lighting between midnight and 5 a.m. It was all done in terms of, what were the original reasons? Money saving. Money saving. It was originally money saving. It was 2008, 2009 when, you know, the economy went pop. I was just trying to remember if it was money saving or if it was um, well, economy saving. Well, round our way, they made it very clear that it was money saving. <laughs> the switch off policy really ended in 2018. Uh, but what happened is that since basically there was a huge rise in casualty rates, it was an increase by 88%. And as well as that, they've been replacing all this light, lighting. So it goes from sodium lighting to LED lights. Quite frankly, they they just don't cost as much to run, yeah. uh, and any saving would have been absolutely negligible and totally countered by the the both cost in terms of life and injury, and also in terms of of actually you know the cost that's incurred by going out and cleaning up after these things. Really, uh, so as a result, lights going back on again, yeah, which is a good thing to be yeah, honest. Who knew if you lit the road, light the roads well. People can see. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the very few road safety things I've noticed in Belgium. Possibly the the biggest the biggest dangers to road safety in Belgium are Belgian drivers. But um but Belgium is the <laughs> only country certainly was the only country in the world with a fully illuminated motorway network. Mm. I don't know if that fact is still a fact, uh, but it was for a long, long time. Uh one could also argue considering Considering the government has said that austerity is over, this is quite an easy way to show that austerity is over as well. Is that switch the lights back well, on? Well, yeah, lads. but only if you, <laughs> yeah, only if you, uh, yes, but only between midnight and five a.m. Yeah, environmental bill, environmental bill. I don't know why I, why I, this is my my fault for for this kind of jumping around in the order this week. This should really be up front, shouldn't it? Uh, to link in with the Dieselgate stories, so we decided to add a stealth Dieselgate story later on. <laughs> so that's my line. I'm sticking to it. Okay, it was announced in the Queen's speech last week that there is a draft environmental bill, and part of which is to uh, increase how the car industry is monitored kept in check if that's something that's needed i think as we know with all these things it's very easy to make positions sound quite impressive and tick some boxes that need to be ticked but basically they were trying to say that if something like dieselgate happened again then there would be powers that there would have to be full recalls if they if vehicles do not meet the relevant environmental standards so Instead of there being, uh, well, you can like with the with the Volkswagen Dieselgate in this country, you can go and get your car fixed. We'll write to you to say when we can do it, but you don't have to. It's up to you. That would not be possible under this new proposed legislation. Which I think, if we tie back to the party conferences, it's a bit of a 
we'd like this to happen, please. Uh, mm. It's not necessarily it's going to happen, but it does give an indication of the thoughts and ideas behind the government from within the government on trying to mitigate any issues like this happening in the future. Do you think it's a, a stable door being bolted, uh, being shut after the horses bolted or or not? What do you reckon? Uh, I, I, I can't work out. I can't work out. That's why I'm asking. Really. I'm, I'm not sure that the government couldn't do this already. It's just, when Dieselgate came out, the government was very, very much hands-off and trying desperately not to do anything because, you know, not long after it came out and there was all the problems, because the Transport Committee repeatedly attacked the government for doing naff all about this and not really yeah, having true. a go at Volkswagen. Um, and then the dreaded B word came along and everybody forgot absolutely everything else that was going on in the world <laughs> and focused on screaming at each mm. other. So... And the the car industry w- was very much a, and still is actually, is very much a poster child stroke, uh, something that's being played with between politicians, I feel. So they don't yes. want to offend them, yet they're quite happy to do it in other ways. But so I think... It, yeah. It, yeah, you see, you're about the same as me. Couldn't really work it out. Yeah, I think they could mm-hmm. do something okay. about it now, but... They just didn't at the time. No, yeah. okay, fair enough. That makes. But I mean, if they make it sense. very I wasn't explicit, trying to catch you out. And I don't. No, no, no. I, I understand that. But it, it, this goes back to the laws that are being proposed you know, for various traffic issues. If you're not going to police it, what's the point in bringing in something new? Hmm. That's that's yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. On I it. can't argue with you at all. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I know you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, basically, yes, yes, that's true. Right, I think that's end of part one. I won't say halfway, but part one. (laughs) His is definitely not halfway, I'm afraid, this week. But yes, that is the end of part one, and that means that this is Guilt Minute, the point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button there on the front page. If you are already a patron, then you absolutely rock, and thank you so very, very much. Uh, We understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done that, then you really are wonderful. So how about accosting one or more friends uh, who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? One last thing, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free? Uh, Making sure that we come to you without the anxiety and worry that you may miss the next new show. If you need any help with podcast players and what the best ones are for your mobile or desktop platform, uh, do please ask uh, via any of the contact routes at the end of the show. Yes, thank you, everyone. Ta-da. Thank you, everyone who does listen. Yes, we do appreciate it. Really, we do. really do. And we're always amazed that there's more than about five. So it's genius. <laughs> Formula E, Alan, anyway. Before Formula we get e. gushy. Or I do. I'm not getting gushy. You get gushy, and then I get all embarrassed and think, oh, God, shut up, <laughs> Formula E has formed a track advisory committee to look at future Formula E track layouts. It's... The group includes uh, three drivers at the minute. It's uh, Lucas Degrassi, Oliver Rowland, and Jerome D'Ambrosio. That's brilliant. Uh, Sorry, I know I've just cut you off there, but to actually involve... don't worry about it. 
involve three drivers is absolutely brilliant because these these guys understand what the the race series is about they understand how it needs to be exciting for i mean i'm not saying that the the whole group from formula e holdings doesn't either but these guys can actually make some real pertinent suggestions of look if we did that mm-hmm. this can look like sexy racing or you know we we've got more of a chance for proper overtakes rather than lunges at very tight corners and anything that does that whilst still dealing with the constraints of speed and safety that formula mm-hmm. e has it, it can only be a good thing because if we if we can have less red flags like last season i, I know i said it many times but last season really i i did nearly throw the towel in a few times of watching the series because it was like oh it's here we go again it's another red flag mm-hmm. but at well, some point th- you went exactly they, they, the guys had no tr- the, what else was going to happen unless it was going to be a single file procession well that's exactly it now this is pretty much a, a well this is coming to focus as a result of the uh, accidents in Roman burn in the last season where where the cars basically cars knocked into each other and ended up blocking the circuit mm. which meant that it all had to be red flagged so that's one of the reasons is to is to get the drivers get more of the drivers opinion on these as they say it's an advisory board as opposed to actually having any real power and the th- but you know it's the people who are in the power who are asking f- who have formed and are asking for the advisory board so that's a good sign uh, the other thing is that it's those three drivers because they were the ones elected uh, by the other drivers in New York. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, that's it's very these important. guys have been it has been elected by other drivers as their representative in this. Yeah. It's uh it's quite interesting and you know that's one of a that's that's quite a major criticism of of formula E uh from some people so it's worth just just making sure that's clear. But I but I think the just before you move on sorry just just before you move on I think the London uh, track gives an opportunity for them to try something a little bit different because there is a they've got a a section obviously going through the indoors bit where they can make it whatever width they like they aren't constrained by this mm. is a normal road that we are racing up and down so they have no, they, they are they are constrained by the widths of the of the entry and exit doors in excel though yes yes absolutely but that's slightly wider than a normal two-lane road, which is what they're racing down, which is why it then gets to pinch points in the corners. Yes, yes, I agree. It's just uh, sorry, I go on about this all the time because I'm so desperate for it to for them to just race because I really enjoy watching the racing. <laughs> yep, agreed. Sorry, I cut Actually, you off. You were about to right. do the second uh, story. Where was I? Oh, you did. I was about to do the second story about about tracks and places, uh, and uh, one of those is that the cancellation of Hong Kong from the next series of Formula E is absolutely the right decision because of, you know, the amount of troubles that are happening there at the minute and the numbers of protests and street clashes and particularly in the Kowloon district of Hong Kong where quite a lot of of this kind of stuff is happening. Similarly, people are taking, people are keeping a close eye on the disorder in Santiago at the minute in Chile. There's quite a lot of stuff happening there. Power station got burnt down, or the headquarters of the power company got set light the the other night or last week. So there's all sorts of all sorts of writing going on. 
people are keeping an eye on it. I think they're they're trying to be a little bit a little bit smart about this in Formula E, and um, more power to them with that. I think that the safety of drivers and teams and any spectators uh, should be paramount in all of this. Absolutely right. Moving on, and this week we have a lunchtime survey. And this is from Leeds University, and they are actually doing a survey which is about nine to ten minutes long. Links will be in the show notes, and we thoroughly encourage everyone to click through because this is important for everyone. And it's actually quite interesting, and we've got the opportunity to help uh, choose the direction for the future of symbols for driver assistance technology. And that's what I'm going to call it, (laughs) driver assistance technology. No, yeah, which is the right term. And that's what they call it as well, by the way. Yeah. They are very Andrew-friendly in their wording here, by the way. It's almost as though they knew I was going to get hold of a, a link to it and they were mm-hmm. they didn't wish to offend me. But, but, I, but I, I think what's really important here would be if people can try and encourage non-car mates to fill this in. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's easy for us offense, to get stuck I in I know problems. what these symbols mean because I play with cars with them quite often. Not all the time my case but quite often and it would be really good if if people could go there by all means do it yourself but then try and ask uh, ask non-car friends uh, or family if they can if they can spend nine or ten minutes on it because i think that that's doubly as important as us filling it in yeah. Although I have filled it in, I did it this morning. <laughs> yes, that's gonna. But that's gonna give a, a reflection of how this stuff's been reported, and uh, mm-hmm. and how much information has filtered down to people who don't really care at the minute, no. or are bothered. Agreed. So, that, and I think that's that's the true. Because, like you said, it's easy for us because we we're in this stuff. We we're really interested in. We want to know more. What about the people who just want to get in a car and drive and then it has various logos at them and they go, what does that mean? I I don't know. And, oh, I'll just switch everything off Mm -hmm. or on or, you know, without really knowing what it's going to do or how it's supposed to help. No, it's a good good spot, that, Alan. Good spot. Uh, It was just a tweet I spotted this morning, I think, and I I can't even remember. It wasn't even someone I knew or followed. I can't remember who retweeted it, but I spotted it and thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, but I, I think it needs more... Yes, more knowing about it. So ho- let's hopefully do some good spreading the word the will spread the podcast. word. Do some good. <laughs> That's it. That's what it's all about. Smart Helping events. the community. Mm-hmm. And by the community, we mean the country. Right, let's move on to something um, a little bit more frivolous and fun. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's the list of the week time. Uh, this week, it is from Top Gear. And it's their top nine, the iconic side vent edition. So, yes, they've come up with nine vehicles that they feel have uh, particularly iconic side vents. Mm, There are some crackers. There are, and they're not always at the front either. No, no. Naturally, Mercedes SL, 300 SL. That's, of course, the Gullwing. It's a particularly nice one. What else is uh, Iconic. Give away the whole list. Iconic, though, and it's good to see it was included, is that Range Rover. The L322 one. Yes. That that is an iconic thing. Uh, And the last one for me was the Quattroporte. Yes. Yes, that works as well. You could argue it was an interesting one, actually, the side vents on the Range Rover, whether they should be more iconic, or the little weird one that was on the Disco 3 and 4, which Uh, I always liked. that's That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah. 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 There are other some other more fabulous, oh, not more fabulous, but other fabulous ones in in this list, and we're not going to run through it all because we want you to click through and have a look and go, oh mm-hmm. yeah, 
like I did. Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't think about that one. Yeah, there are yeah. there are some nice ones in there. It's a good it's a good list here. Mm. A good list. Well done, Top Gear. They're, I mean, nice they're just waiting for us to say well done, aren't they? <laughs> that's it. That's Top Gear's whole raison d'être. By the way, I finally the other night got round to watching the first of the last series of Top Gear, and I really enjoyed it. What have you watched all the rest, or you not? Just, I've only watched one so far. I, I sort of, you can saturate yourself on too much Top Gear of an evening. Mm. And I was sort of mixing it up a bit and I thought, well, whatever, it's on iPlayer. And I really enjoyed it. So I am so far behind on that because I'm just so it, far behind. It worked on it. so much better than I hoped it would. And I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. It was three blokes messing around with cars again. It's it's not the same as Clarkson, Hammond and May. It's not the same as that. But it's it's three guys messing around. And I enjoyed all three of them for different reasons. They all brought something slightly different to it without... I was very worried that the whole series would just go to childish laddishness and would be tedious mm. as a result. But it's not. It's it, There's a good balance there. And I'm mm-hmm. very grateful for it. <laughs> what I was most impressed by, and I know this sounds silly, but it was how good all three of them were at talking to camera whilst driving, mm. which anyone who's ever tried it, that's a good reason why you've never seen me do it, yes, will understand just how that is is quite so impressive. Yep. Right. And yeah. finally, no, now, I'm going to end finally. Oh, yes. And finally. Sorry. Yes. We're, we're working our way up to the end finally. And it is the news that Hyundai in Australia have decided that the i800 could do with a bit of uh, sexing up, bit of bit of uh, bit of love. So they've decided to turn one into a drift car with fifty fifty weight distribution with eight people in it. <laughs> so 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 it's all at the front. Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> that's right, but. I mean, to be fair, looking at the pictures, there is no one else in the car, and the guy is still getting hit adrift. So, yeah, but there's there's a video, there's a YouTube as well. Oh yes, I there is where there are actually passengers. Uh, I haven't and it watched has the video, but I'm told it has absolutely superb splitter, and is in the uh, iconic. I think is almost what we're getting to end performance baby blue. <laughs> I think uh, I think you would only call it with respect to Hyundai. I think you would only jump on the use of the word iconic if you were actually a Hyundai PR. <laughs> well, I've given that, possibly that, I've, pushing I've it given that for free. They, they, I've, I've already yeah, really. been very nice to them this week, so I'm not, I, I can't do too much more. Uh, <laughs> 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 but this, uh, this is just a superb idea. Just someone's gone, oh, screw it, mate. Let's just make a drift car. <laughs> You've missed out some of the other stuff. So it's a three and a half litre twin turbo V6 uh, is in the front. It says it has a proper differential according to, and this is piston heads. So I'm imagining that that means it's limited slip diff. Uh, what else was it? What were the numbers? Somebody said uh, 394 brake and 550 newton meters of the torques. Do all right on the school run. <laughs> yeah, and there's loads of pictures of it doing burnouts and stuff. Uh, and it's painted performance blue. And yeah, it's quite cool, I think. I think that was fun. Yeah, that's good. That's good fun. Well done, Hyundai Australia. To- bit of fun bit of silliness and a bit of fun we like that mm-hmm. uh which brings us to parish notes so this week there will be a rear view Ooh, uh, a what a timely and current rear view oh wow okay so i wasn't expecting that so i was going to use <laughs> that's great to know awesome as the motoring podcast has a production meeting on air 
<laughs> on air, yes, as usual. Oh, that's good, Andrew. Well, I knew there's, there's, we've got loads of special editions lined up. Um, yes, we have plenty of special editions to, uh, to sort out, yeah. What else is coming up? Uh, oh, yes, if you follow me on the Twitters or other people on the Twitters and you saw the parallel Pomeroy trophy that Toyota did last year in February, if you own a Toyota of any sort, of any engine or any age, then you can enter that uh, if you go to is it blog to, the, blog.toyota.co.uk. Someone will tell me if I've got that wrong. Then there is, it tells you how to enter Parallel Pomeroy. So you can do that if you're interested. Uh, the other thing I quickly wanted to talk about, there was nowhere else really in the running order to do this, uh, was to say that I was at the Mission Motorsport track day on friday at rockingham which is the very last things very last circuit event that's going to be take place at rockingham especially as his his, exactly especially as much of it is already taken up with the storage of vehicles which was a little bit scary when my abs kicked in and the car just didn't slow down at all and all i could see were the cones and then the next set of cones and then an awful lot of suvs brand new unregistered SUVs parked up. And there was, there was probably about 70 or 80 meters between the first set of cones and the second set of cones. But when your car's not slowing down much from 85 miles an hour, it, it, it's, it, it's a little bit scary. And the other thing I wanted to say about that was a quick thanks to Rich Brunning as well of uh, Bad Obsession Motorsport, who uh, I went up to to thank him for putting up with Andrew for a little while uh, and recording the rear view a little while ago. And... We ended up yakking and he came over and he was poking at, poking at Johnny the heiress and said, well, uh, do you want passenger for a few laps? And I just want to say it's one other thing, not just because it was, it was, it was rich and he's a lovely chap, although he uses far more naughty words in real life when he's <laughs> shouting at you. Yes, I get that impression that, uh, YouTube Richard when is when not he's shouting real life at Richard. you, when he's shouting at you to go faster. No, it is, but when he's shouting at you to go faster and to, and to not back off. Uh, and he's being quite vocal about it, then that is. Then, then, then he, he uses naughtier words. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I just wanted to say that coaching on a track day, if you are going on a track day and you're not a track day person, not a track day person, if you're not someone who goes on them regularly or drives on the track that much like, like myself, and you're not a driving god, then a little bit of coaching from an expert makes a world of difference to how much fun your day can be. If you are, for whatever reason, doing a track day or even going and doing one of these, not so much the supercar, supercar experience, but, you know, some of the Porsche experiences and stuff, just just having that expert beside you is is just wonderful. Um, it's really cool. So thank you, Rich, for that. Thank you, of course, to James and everyone at Mission Motorsport and at uh, Ring Weekends for organizing it. Um, I say I wasn't there for the whole of Friday because there was maybe a technical issue, but it was an absolutely brilliant event. And thank you. It meant lots to me personally as well, not just to be supporting Mission Motorsport about a mile from home, which is always good, but to actually get final shotty at the track. Mm. So that, that made a, a, that was a really, really cool thing that I did. Yeah, you got a chance to say goodbye. Those were the last two, yes, the last two track events I did. I think with Parallel Polaroid in February, and then um, and then track down, track down Friday. There, I really need to do more. Every time I do these things, I say I must do more because that's what it's all about. It's all good fun. Yep. So I stop pontificating now. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, I, I've been thinking for a little, for quite a while now that I, I want to do a, a proper track day thing, but I want to have someone there 
you know, I want to have driver instruction on the track day as well. To, because, I mean, you, you saw the differences on the SMMT with the Porsche chap, the Porsche chap. And, yeah, oh, well, that and, was a and, tiny, and that was for it, a you know? fraction of a second, really. And I felt so much better. Mm. You know, I, I felt much more confident on that, and it reminded me of when I've been on a Honda day, and, and there was a guy yeah. going, oh, "Okay, just keep going, keep going," because you, as you indicated there, where we normally break is so much more conservative than where you're pushed to do on a track. Well, well, we were agreeing that it's a squishy thing at the steering wheel that is the biggest, the most limiting factor. Mm. Certainly, you know, I've driven Johnny the Aris, and, and I, I know that there was – I was uh, – so anyone who knew turn one at Rockingham when it was a bit damp, and this is bearing in mind that I had already been the first car behind, behind Jim on the sighting laps, and I had lost it at less than 20 miles an hour, it was so slippery. Okay. It was like driving on ice uh, when the track was still wet. I, and this is a front wheel drive car set up to go where you point it and not, not for heroics. And there's another 30 odd cars behind me. So, you know, I didn't, you don't want to be that guy. It's my <laughs> aim at all these things. Don't be that guy. And I, I, there was, there was quite a lot of, Oh, European siren. Oh, European siren. Oh, European siren. <laughs> until I, until I caught the car again, trying to make sure that I didn't lift off and I didn't. Oh, gee. Looking forward to I, the I, YouTube video of all this. Th- there is no YouTube. It never got that far. I, I never got that far, no, especially not I on sighting lads. It would have been other people's YouTube videos. And I was quite happy when other people later on over the weekend confessed that they had spun at various places at very low speeds uh, as well until the track dried out. But you know, you, yeah, it was, it was great. And, and just the, I think through turn one, based on when I'd been out on my own and it was still really wet until when it was drying, when I was out of Ridge, I was doing 30, at least 30 miles an hour more mm-hmm. around the banking towards the concrete yeah. The hard concrete. But no, significantly quicker and, and a good bit quicker even in the time of Ridge through the chicanes and stuff towards the end to rejoin the banking and stuff. So, cool. yeah, cracking stuff. Cool. Anyway, sorry, I'm waffling because I really should be halfway through the end of – well, I should have finished the end of show wording by now. But there we go. Anyway, I will round up now uh, and remind you that between now and next week, you can give any, any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer available at motoring.com, motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing, because it really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way probably to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Wintergreen, you'll find me there. And Alan, if people want to talk to you more about the last hurrah of Rockingham, what you took from that day and uh, how to get round ice-filled corners, what's the best way for them to do that? <laughs> um, best way is Twitter, as usual, where I'm at A-J-P Bradley, B-R-A-D. L-E-Y. And say we will be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.